Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up in today's broadcast being a Thursday, we bring you our woman feature and today we take a look at human trafficking. But before that, I bring you up to date with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and Africa. This is Sister Marie Cooper. I am the program manager for Renew Africa. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas. And in your headlines this Thursday evening, Vatican plans to fight organ trafficking. Women bring harmony that makes the world beautiful, says Pope Francis. And the UN looks forward to working with new Somali president. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with church news. For the first time in history, the Vatican has organized a meeting to address obscure organ trafficking and transplant tourism in more than 50 countries from around the world. This is another form of modern slavery that Pope Francis is determined to denounce. Thus, he himself asked the Pontifical Academy of Sciences to organize the Congress. Monsignor Marcelo Sanchez Sorondo is the Chancellor of the Pontifical Academy of Sciences. It is part of what the Pope has asked for, and fortunately the Academy is a doctor very interested in the subject. The difference between this traffic and other trafficking is that it cannot be done without the doctor's hands, without the doctors. Therefore, the doctors know the situation well. The Congress has had an impact on the need to involve doctors in denouncing possible cases and to reinforce their ethical codes. Amongst those present at the meeting was surgeon Ignazio Marino. The problem is very serious because it is about the exploitation of the person, the dignity of the person. I would call it a crime against humanity. There is also a growing awareness of the seriousness of trafficking human body parts. For example, in China, past governments have authorized the use of the organs of executed prisoners. Fortunately, it is a practice that is no longer performed, and its ban was applauded by the Vatican. One of the leaders of the Chinese government in the matter, Dr. Jiuf Huang, attended this meeting as part of small steps towards the normalization of relations between the Vatican and China. This is a very important international meeting because of the noble identity of the you know, Pope Francis. I'm a surgeon, so I know nothing about the diplomacy. <laughs> and so, however, probably this is also uh, is indication Chinese people and uh, wish to improve relations with the Vatican. 
The data speaks for itself. A Pakistani can sell a kidney for $2,000, and that same kidney will cost $80,000 in the United States. The biggest victims of this sinister business are the marginalized, as Gustavo Vera from the NGO Alemada explains. One gets an organ in two months, another takes eight years, and the difference between two months and eight years is called money, to the extent that the organs become a commodity within a system, as Pope Francis calls, of unbridled consumerism. What we are going to have is a vulnerable population. Donors and recipients of victims, tourists traveling to other countries to obtain organs do not have health insurance guaranteed, and 7 out of 10 develop serious infections. According to the World Transplantation Register, in 2015, 119,873 organs were transplanted worldwide. The World Health Organization estimates that each year 10,000 of these transplants are performed illegally. Without women, there is no harmony in the world. That was the message of Pope Francis in his homily at the morning mass at the Casa Santa Marta. At the center of his reflection was creation of women as told in Genesis. Men and women are not equal. The one is not superior to the other. But it is the woman and not the man who brings that harmony which makes the world a beautiful place. Pope Francis was continuing his reflection on creation, the subject of the readings for the past few days taken from the book of Genesis. Pope Francis has urged all those involved in Catholic education to be builders of a more united and peaceful world. Vatican Radio Linda Bodoni reports. In an address on Thursday morning to the Congregation for Catholic Education that is holding its plenary assembly, the Pope pointed out that institutes of education have meaning only in relation to the formation of the person. Reminding those present that more than others, Catholic institutions have a mission to offer horizons that are open to transcendence. Pope Francis said education is at the service of an integral humanism and that the church, as a mother and an educator, must look to the new generations offering formation both to the person in view of his own ultimate goal and to the good of society to which he belongs. The Pope stressed the need to teach a culture of dialogue, saying our world has become a global village in which each person belongs to humanity and shares in the hope for a better future for the whole family of nations. Unfortunately, he said, there are many forms of violence, poverty, exploitation, discrimination, marginalization and restrictions on freedom that create a culture of waste. Within this context, he said, Catholic educational institutions are called to be on the front line in practicing a grammar of dialogue, which he said is the basis of encounter and of the enhancement of cultural and religious diversity. The new generations, he said, must leave the classrooms with the motivation to build bridges and find new answers to the many challenges of our time. Concluding, Pope Francis said, there is a final expectation that I would like to share with you, the contribution of education in sowing hope. I am convinced, he said, that young people today need above all to lead a life that builds the future. So educators must listen to young people, something we're preparing to do at the next Synod of Bishops, which is dedicated to them. 
Pope Francis this Thursday met with a delegation from the Anti-Defamation and denounced anti-Semitism in all its forms as completely contrary to Christian principles and every vision worthy of the human person. Here is Vatican Radio's Lydia O'Kane. The Anti-Defamation League was founded in 1913 to stop the defamation of the Jewish people and to secure justice and fair treatment to all. And on Thursday, just like his predecessors, St. John Paul II and Benedict XVI, Pope Francis received a delegation from the organization, which has maintained relations with the Holy See since the Second Vatican Council. Speaking to those gathered, the Pope recalled his visit last year to the Auschwitz-Birkenau extermination camp, saying... There are no adequate words or thoughts in the face of such horrors of cruelty and sin. There is prayer that God may have mercy and that such tragedies may never happen again. Denouncing anti-Semitism in all its forms, the Holy Father reaffirmed that the Catholic Church feels particularly obliged to do all that is possible with our Jewish friends to repeal anti-Semitic tendencies. Today, more than ever, Pope Francis continued, the fight against anti-Semitism can benefit from effective instruments such as information and formation. La lotta all'antisemitismo può fruire di strumenti efficaci come l'informazione e la formazione. Faced with too much violence spreading throughout the world, the Pope underlined, we are called to a greater non-violence, which does not mean passivity, but active promotion of the good, which he added included the dignity of human life from conception to natural end. The Holy Father encouraged the delegation to sow the seeds of goodness by cultivating justice, fostering accord and sustaining integration. Only in this way, he said, may we gather the fruits of peace. Moving on to African news, the UN has congratulated Somalia's new president who was elected by parliamentarians in the capital, Mogadishu, on Wednesday. Mohamed Abdullahi, known by the nickname Farmacho, is a former Somalian prime minister. He emerged the victor from a field of more than 20 candidates, including the incumbent. The presidential vote closes out an electoral season which began with parliamentary elections in October. As Somalia does not have the institutions to hold one-person, one-vote elections, a hybrid electoral system was developed which was supported by the international community. Joe Contreras is the spokesperson at the UN mission in Somalia. We uh, congratulate the former prime minister on his election as federal president and look forward to working with him and his government in tackling the many economic, political, security, and humanitarian challenges uh, facing Somalia. Uh, We are also very happy that the voting today uh, was conducted in a peaceful and orderly and transparent manner, according to the rules stipulated by Somalia's provisional federal constitution, And we also thank the outgoing incumbent federal president, Hassan Sheikh Mohammed, and his government uh, for the achievements they registered over the past four years and for the very good working relationship uh, that we enjoyed uh, as the United Nations uh, with President Hassan Sheikh and his team. 
Voting was held at the Mogadishu airport, and there had been some questions raised about security, but I take it everything went smoothly. Yes, uh, the voting unfolded without incident. Indeed, it was held under very, very tight security, but it all went according to plan, and there was no gunfire or any attempted attacks on the uh, venue whatsoever. So now the electoral process is finished. What's next for Somalia? Well, uh, what's next for the country, first of all, is for the new federal president to name a prime minister, and the prime minister then in turn will appoint a cabinet, and then they will get down to business. The new President Formaggio faces a daunting list of challenges in the coming months and years. Uh, there is, of course, the ongoing drought crisis in many parts of the country, where over 6 million people are facing varying degrees of food insecurity. Uh, there is a presumption of the constitutional review process that needs to take place, and that process uh, needs to be completed this year. Also, the new federal president will need to promote reconciliation among various communities across Somalia who have disputes over resources, land, uh, and other matters. And the international community, uh, led by the United Nations, stands ready to work closely with the new government and help it promote the state-building process and consolidate the peace and promote the development of the country. Um, is there anything further you think our audience should know about this process, which has now come to an end? Well, it's a historic milestone uh, in the country's ongoing emergence from years of chaos and civil war. Uh, we feel the process, though flawed in some respects, by allegations of corruption and manipulation of some of the parliamentary voting, overall produced some very positive results. This new federal parliament is the most representative and legitimate national legislature in the history of the country, and uh, we are very, very happy with the outcome of the process overall. Officials in northern Cameroon say Boko Haram is hitting back against regional military pressure with suicide attacks. Rarely a week goes by without reports of a bombing. To protect border communities, Cameroon is reinforcing the capabilities of local self-defense groups who help the military. Regional troops said they have pushed the terrorists from much of the territory they once occupied. However, Boko Haram has restored to a campaign of suicide attacks, often targeting civilians. Retracting a 2012 ruling, Morocco's High Religious Committee has ruled that persons who convert from Islam should no longer be punished by death by religious decree. According to a report by New York-based Morocco World News, the committee redefined apostasy not as a religious issue but as a political stand more closely aligned with high treason.
Meanwhile, in a front-page article, the Vatican newspaper characterized the committee's decision as part of a framework of reforms inspired by a line of cultural openness and religious pluralism desired by the sovereign Mohammed VI. Morocco, a nation of 33.7 million, is 99% Muslim. And finally, Pope Francis met on Thursday with Jesuits who write for the Civilta Cattolica magazine, currently celebrating its 4,000 edition. Founded in 1850 and originally available only in Italian, the publication is now adding editions in English, French, Spanish and Korean. Here is Vatican Radio's Philippa Hitchin. The Pope reflected at length on the importance of poetry, art and pioneering intellectual research as the magazine seeks to build bridges with many peoples and cultures. Your writing must not just defend Catholic ideas, but must witness to Christ in the world with a restless, open-minded and imaginative spirit. That was the Pope's message to his Jesuit colleagues as he encouraged the work of this ancient and precious publication, a copy of which he confided is often on my desk. Describing the Civiltà Cattolica's long history as a boat voyage on the open seas, the Pope told its current contributors never to be afraid of the storms, but to to proceed courageously, guided by the Spirit into uncharted waters. He noted how the magazine has always had a particular link to the popes of the past century and a half, starting with Pope Pius IX, who approved the original statutes in 1866. Since then, he said the publication has been the expression of a group of writers who share not only their intellectual experiences, but also a charismatic inspiration and daily life together in the community where they live. Jesuits, Pope Francis continued, are called to carry out their mission on the frontiers and margins of society in a spirit of dialogue and discernment. Civiltà Cattolica, he said, can help build bridges across those frontiers, with the new language editions serving to broaden your horizons and enter into dialogue with people in different parts of the globe. The Pope focused on the need for Catholic writers to be restless, reminding them that Christian traditions are not rare treasures to be locked away in a museum display case. In this restless spirit, he said, they should draw inspiration from the French Jesuit St. Peter Faber, co-founder of the order and a pioneer of ecumenism in the 16th century. The second quality he urged them to strive for was that of openness in the face of the challenges of a world caught in a crisis of mediocrity, relativism, rigidity and a throwaway culture. Only an open-minded spirit like that of the pioneering Jesuit Matteo Ricci, who helped bring Christianity to China, will be able to to confront the complex political, economic and humanitarian crises of our world, beginning with the drama of global migration. La terza parola... Finally, Pope Francis urged the writers to be imaginative, like the versatile Jesuit painter and architect Andrea Pozzo. Reflecting on the importance of poetry, painting and other art forms, the Pope said the Church must rediscover its human genius, helping us to see that life is not black and white, but rather a colour painting with subtle shading. Use your imagination, he concluded, to remain flexible with a sense of humour, a merciful heart and an interior freedom. And those were your headlines this Thursday evening.
Thank you once again for joining me this evening. You're listening to Catholic View on Radio Veritas, 576 AM, otherwise on 870 DSTV, and I'm Shayla Pitch. Being a Thursday, coming up, we bring you our Women Feature. Women on the African continent are generally treated as second-class citizens. They do not enjoy the same positions as men. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Some men refuse to invest in the education of their daughters because they say they will soon get married. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competitors, not for jobs or for accomplishments, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of men. Feminist, a person who believes in the social, political and economic equality of the sexes. Women on the Forefront, a program dedicated to women who are making a difference. Welcome back to our Women Feature. This evening we focus on human trafficking. In remarks made following his February 8th general audience, Pope Francis recalled that February 8th, the memorial of St. Josephine Bakita, was a day of prayer against human trafficking. Referring to human trafficking, Pope Francis said, I hope that those who hold responsibility in government will combat this scourge with determination, giving voice to our smallest brothers, humiliated in their dignity. Every effort must be made to vanquish this shameful and intolerable crime. Now, in 2004, Marianne Alio took an active interest in the dilemma of human trafficking in South Africa. In October 2005, she launched the Human Trafficking Advocacy Initiative of Southern Africa. She is the national coordinator and runs a Johannesburg and Pretoria focus group. She spoke to me about human trafficking in South Africa. Well, first and foremost, um, I started in 2004 when it was fairly unknown in South Africa. And South Africa at that stage was a place of transit. In other words, there wasn't the end demand. But subsequently, soon after about 2006, South Africa became a place of destination. So in other words, traffickers were trafficking people to the hinterland. In other words, there was a demand in South Africa. So that was one of the big changes, that we are now a country of destination. Then legislation came in two years ago. It was very exciting because there was a white paper drawn up around about 2010, just in time for the World Cup. And we went on major alert to alert particularly orphanages and places like that about the World Cup and the visitors who come to the World Cup. And, of course, one of the um, side shows or entertainment um, aspects would be, uh, you know, uh, brothels and the, the abuse of uh, women and children in the sexual, in the sex industry. 
So legislation came and was promulgated and then passed. And so what has happened with that legislation is that perpetrators are no longer just given a fine, they are incarcerated. So from that aspect, there has been a move towards um, punishing perpetrators. So that's the good part of what governments have done. The extent to which they enforce the legislation, of course, begs to desire. In other words, it's not being done at the rate that it should be. Now, how do we prevent human trafficking? Because it is a global scandal. It's happening everywhere. How do we combat this? Human trafficking is modern slavery. The former slavery was chattel slavery. That's when you were a possession and you were sold as a slave, not necessarily for sexual purposes. But modern slavery is a lot more inconspicuous. It's below the radar. And it involves work gangs, it involves um, pornography, it involves um, sexual industry. It it has a very broad spectrum now, and it's far more insidious. In other words, we don't see it. You know, before slaves were sold on a market, you could see. But now that is not the case. And what's behind it is syndicates. And these syndicates are huge, and they are global, as you said. And remember, it's very lucrative. It is more lucrative than selling arms in a country because you can resell and resell the human being, whereas with arms, it's a cache of arms, and once it's depleted, it needs to be um, resupplied. To answer your question, how do you combat human trafficking is such a complicated answer. There are many ways in which you can staunch the flow of human trafficking, and one of them would be legislation. I don't want to sound negative, but to stop human trafficking is foreign to human nature. While there is a demand, there will be a supply. A country like Finland, two years ago, has in fact increased the punitive measures against those, not the perpetrators, but the end users, of trafficked people. And so these people are hounded and incarcerated. And that has brought down the lucrativity and the, and the sheer volume of trafficking in Finland. So that would be one of the ways that we could staunch the flow of this scourge, would be to, in fact, incarcerate and fine the end user. And I guess uh, the huge flow of immigrants uh, moving from one country to the other doesn't really help in combating uh, human trafficking as well. Migration is one of the, because they make people vulnerable, migration has added in leaps and bounds towards trafficking of people because those people are vulnerable. First of all, they're generally economically deprived. So from that point of view, they are vulnerable then there are usually people without any kind of home and unwanted. So that makes them, you know, vulnerable. So from a social, political, and economic point of view, uh, migration has definitely added to the scourge of trafficking of people. And definitely your, your teenage girls up until the age of about 13.
are the most vulnerable simply because they have multi-purposes. They can be victims of domestic servitude. They can be victims of sweatshops, which is the work gangs. And, of course, they're victims of the sex industry. Now, Marianne, who are you working with? Because I know the Catholic Church has had numerous events uh, uh, trying to tackle the scourge of human trafficking. As for you, who are you working with and what are you aiming at presently? I have what I call anti-human trafficking advocacy initiative. So my initiative is purely advocacy. You can imagine I can't take my you know, time off and go and do major, you know, um, work on the field like I used to. I work strongly with the Salvation Army and the, in, um, the IOM, you know, the, the um, International Organization of Migration. But I do primarily on an advocacy basis. So my, my thrust is purely awareness. I cannot involve myself in on the field. I have done some on the field work where you actually pursue the trafficking um, pathways or passages in the various countries and you try and elicit where the vulnerable areas are. But I no longer do that, Sheila. I purely work on um, advocacy, which is to mobilize the awareness of everyday people to things like trucking, you know, in the Beaufort West Peru area, they are trafficking of people on that area because the truck drivers um, are means of which they can transport the human cargo. So um, that's what I do. I will highlight areas of um, vulnerability. Um, yeah, and I work primarily with the Salvation Army and the IOM. What do you think government and the local church can do to improve? Well, again, you know, if we can enforce legislation, and the Human Rights Watch has definitely targeted South Africa as a country that was very low on the Human Rights Watch, and then slowly with the promulgation of legislation and then legislation, we climbed higher up the Human Rights Watch um, uh, spectrum. But we have fallen down again because, you know, you can see that South Africa's laws are not enforced. We also don't have trained people in the law enforcement fraternity who really know what to do in order to, A, um, secure vulnerable people, B, how to break the chain of the perpetrators, you know, we just don't have that enforcement. We don't have that training. Well, Marianne, thank you so much for your time. Any last words before I let you go? You know, all it takes for uh, human trafficking to flourish is for the good man to do nothing. So if you see something that looks suspect to you, for goodness sake, report it. Report it to an organization like the Salvation Army or the Catholic Church or the IOM. Don't let it pass you by. Be vigilant, be caring, uh, be compassionate, and put it out there in the public domain. And of course, also protect your own. Oh, absolutely. Keep your children close. Very close. I want to leave my footprints on the sands of time. Know there was something bad and something that I left behind. I leave this world, I'll leave no regrets, 
brings me up to time. Thank you so much for listening. This has been your Thursday's edition of Catholic Fuel. I'll be back again tomorrow evening at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirish.